This is a Showbile podcast. All right, we're into episode 16 of Bucks on Nucks now, and welcome to the show. It's Ty Demery here, and we have a big interview lined up for you on the show today with your favorite broadcaster, Kyle Bukowskis. And I'm going to let Stewie J talk a bit more about that when we get to it shortly here. But also on the show today, we've got some more UFC gambling picks for you. And we're going to be taking a look at some big moves that happened across the MLB. Before we dive into it, though, let's see how the lads are doing. And uh, how about we start with uh, DK there? How you doing, buddy? Doing good today, boys. I'm doing good today. I was kind of pulling my hair out there the other day when Ross Atkins was just sitting on his fucking hands, not making any calls, not doing anything. I was a classic Toronto fan. The deadline wasn't up. But I was ready to blow up. I was I literally had texted you guys in the group chat and said if Ross Atkins only does this Anthony Bass and Zach Pop deal, I'm gonna lose it and call for his head. Even though I think he's done an unbelievable job as the GM, I would have called for his head just for not trying to upgrade the team. I uh other than that, I'm doing pretty good, boys. We're crushing a couple pints on the pod here today. We're fired up because yeah, we got Kyle Bukasis coming on, and I know Stewie's real fired up for Kyle B. He's a big Kyle Biz fan. I know. I mean, aren't we all best broadcaster in the business, in my opinion, or best definitely one biz, of them? Dude. <laughs> best hair in the biz for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, I'm doing pretty good though. Um, my mom and girlfriend are out in the in the kitchen cooking dinner, so I can't thank them enough because I know she might listen to this. So thank you so much. But I went out there and they were freaking gossiping about me. They were like two night, two nights in a row and stuff. You got you're, you're going to be doing stuff busy. <laughs> I'm like, God, you're gossiping about me. So I, I might need to use your fucking line from a couple pods ago, DK, where you said, like, I just tell the girl that uh, when when we're making millions off this thing, you get a little bit of a cut. But you I have a know. buck or two, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A I don't know if she- buck or two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good. We'll one. give you some UFC gambling picks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly, yeah. honestly, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I don't know if she has the same belief as we do in this thing, but uh, <laughs> anyways, I think. Uh, this uh this interview is a good place to start though for um like big people coming on the show. Anyways, boys, um before we get started, I just want to say uh we had like two legends pass in the in, in, in the past week, and that's uh Bill Russell, the GOATs. Um well not uh, I don't know, it's de- obviously the GOAT is debatable, but he has like what, eleven championships, DK? Yep. Is, that, is that correct? Yeah. I yeah, mean I think, yeah. I think him and Henri Richard, I think, are are tied for the most in team sports, um, in like the big four at least in in, in uh North America. So it was sad to see him go. And he's like, he was just like such a great guy too. Like you see his humor in in all the public appearances he's made over the last few years. So that was tough. Like that guy dominated like the fifties and sixties there. Tough to see him go at the age of 88. And uh, like, it's a good debate to put him on your, your Mount Rushmore of sports, maybe like American sports. Like, like if you want to go by championships, I mean, Ty put Joey Chestnut up there. (laughs) I mean, I might be the only guy that's out (laughs) out championshipping uh bill russell so <laughs> i guess if, if we're going by that uh, those numbers i guess fuck it if joey chestnut's up there i guess bill has to be up there too and then also one of the other goats um vin scully uh, one of the best in broadcasting so it's almost fitting that we have one of the newcomers one of the the next best in broadcasting kyle bakoskis on the show today but uh vin scully was the dodgers announcer for years i think since like the 50s 50s yep. or 60s and um, he retired a couple years ago, but uh, he passed away, and he was one of the, he was one of the goats, one of the has some of the greatest calls of all time in baseball and football. So and 
and probably one of the most talented broadcasters in in the world of all time because Vince Scully yeah. didn't have a, a team around him. He was the only one calling the game. There was no color commentator. There was no man down at the field. It was just Vince Scully calling the Dodgers games for a long time. And the guy kept into it the whole time. He's a great storyteller, seemed like a great guy. Um, I was a big fan of Vince Scully growing up. Anytime you'd hear a call and you'd love to hear Vince Scully go. Both these guys, Bill Russell, probably um, the most famous and best athlete coming out of like in Boston sports of all time. Like you said, he brought a ton of championships to the Celtics. I'd put him up there on the, especially the Boston Mount Rushmore. He'd be right at the top of the list. Um, both these guys lived exceptional lives, 88 and 94 years old, the two of them. They live lives that you would just envy, and you know what? It's it's good to it's 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 good to see when someone passes how much support and 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 how much love they were shown over the last few days here. It's Vince Gulley and Bill Bill Russell, for sure. Yeah, rest in peace to a couple of legends there. Uh, you did mention there, Stu, though, that we got uh, Kyle there joining the show here very shortly. I think I see him on the line here right now. And uh, since you kind of lined up this interview, Stu, why don't you do the honors of introducing him? Thanks, everyone, for joining us for our second ever interview here on Bucks on Knox. We're super excited to introduce to you a guy you'll definitely recognize if you're a hockey fan. He is a Sportsnet reporter who often catches the baton ringside from Ron McLean up in the studio on Saturday nights. He has the best hair in broadcasting, and as described by the great Charles Barkley, the Canadian Tom Brady. Kyle Bukowskis, how are you, my friend? Good. I, I appreciate the the catch the the baton reference there. That's uh, that's cool. I've never thought of it that way. I did relay once when I was in elementary school, and I dropped the baton. I was the third <laughs> passing it on to our anchor, and it cost us a medal. But anyway, hopefully, no mishaps like that going forward. But good to be on with you, boys. Your baton catching skills have certainly improved. <laughs> As you say, that that was his first and last ever baton relay. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. Well. How's the summer been, Kyle? Like, what what have you been getting up to lately? You know what? It's been it's been really nice. Um, managed to unwind here last couple of weeks after the the draft and free agency, uh, the early part of July, and then had some family come stay with us uh, here in Ottawa for about a week and a half. So did a lot of that running around and trying to get a good visit in, and and that was a lot of fun. And um, just a little trip over the, the long weekend, uh, here with, with my fiance, went to Montreal for a night, uh, saw John Mulaney at just for laughs, who is, a, I'm a huge fan of his and I had never seen him live before. So that was, that was really neat. Um, and now I've got, uh, gearing up for, uh, the national bank open in Montreal coming up, uh, next week, which will be on Sportsnet uh, in its entirety. So that's always one of my favorite weeks of the, the entire year, boys. I got to tell you, I love, love doing that for. Um, you know, just one tournament a, a year to get my my tennis fix. It's been it's been a staple, uh, fortunately for me, since I've been at, at Sportsnet. I, I'm really looking forward to it. So th- that leads me right into my next question. I thought you'd take a little bit of break as soon as the playoffs get done. But is there any other sports that you really follow like religiously, other than hockey, during the season, after the season? Is it is it tennis that you that you follow the most? Well, no, I I, I do. I kind of when. Outside of the summertime, like when the when the slams roll around, obviously I'll pay a little bit more attention. But I find you know you get so fixated on on hockey from you know September right through to the end of June. Um, you know you don't have a lot of time to to lend your your focus to to much else. Um, and usually when I do, it's something you know completely away from from sports just to get a little bit of balance going in in my life. Absolutely. So. 
um, yeah, I, I, I find throughout the year it's, it's mainly hockey. And then now that it's summertime, all right, a little more attention to what the Jays are doing and, and the fact that they're having a good year. I enjoy having them on the TV each night. Um, and then tennis, just with it kind of being worked into my schedule, um, I've got to keep up on, on that a little bit more so. But I, I do love watching it in person for those that, that may have, you know, I've seen it on TV a, a couple of times and, and have a curiosity about it. It's, it's outstanding to watch live. I don't know if you guys have had the chance, but just the athleticism that goes on there as they pound the ball back and forth over that net. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. I was, I was never a tennis guy, but you know, who's really caught my attention lately is that Nick Kyrgios. I feel like he's just electric. Anytime he's on the TV, I can only imagine watching him live screaming at fans doing this and that. Like, what do you think about a guy like that? Is that good for tennis? Like, is he just John McEnroe 2.0? Yeah, I think, I mean, a different, a different cat, I think than, than McEnroe. Um, like it seems like, like Kyrgios, it doesn't take much. Like it's almost like he needs like a bit of that. Like he's got to dig in on, on somebody or something yep. to kind of get him going through a match and, and maybe a little bit more of a wild card in terms of you just not, not sure what you're going to get from him. Um, because I think when he first came onto the scene, oh, five, six years ago now, there was, uh, you know, it seemed like it was unanimous and you do still see it, you know, now, like the fact that he went to the the final at, at Wimbledon this year like when he wants to be on like he's he's a top five player in terms of his his skill set and the tools that he has um but there's can be some some moments where he loses himself a little bit and uh and the game suffers because of it but I just I love you know, it's just a different approach right it's like I don't think he necessarily travels with a coach like he's just got his his group of buddies his girlfriend that'll uh, go to a lot of tournaments with him um, so his, in terms of his scheduling, uh, and how he kind of plans out his season, it's a little bit unorthodox compared to a lot of guys on tour. Um, but he puts bums in seats, man. Like I, I'm, I'm hoping he gets, um, I, cause because of his ranking, I'm not sure how it's going to work. If he's going to get a wild card into the tournament, uh, next week or how, uh, how he's going to be able to get in, but surely they're going to find a way because, um, he's in Washington right now. I saw he won in straight sets, uh, last night. He looked very good. Um, and I think he would be someone that, you know, certainly would cause some buzz coming off that, that run to the, the final at the all England club. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan it's, he does it differently. Maybe the, you know, some of the, the classic tennis fans may not, may not agree, but I think in this day and age, like it's great. Like he walks on a court with Jordans on and then throws his, his court shoes and goes and, and plays. And, um, yeah, there's some moments where he crosses a line, but I think all in all it's, it's, it creates entertainment and, and buzz for a sport than, um, can be a little hoity-toity at times. Absolutely. Who's your guy in tennis? Is it one of the? Is it like Felix or one of the Canadian boys? Um, you know what? Like certainly, whenever you know, whether it's it's Felix or, or Dennis or Leila Annie um, or um, whoever, be you know, Bianca. Like it's it, you certainly throw your yourself behind the the Canadian content um, and want to see them do well. But uh, I remember a couple of years ago in in Montreal, uh, you know, watching this this little Argentinian guy, Diego Schwartzman who, you know, not the biggest guy, doesn't have the most power, like is his game's more suited towards clay, which isn't as much of a power game. But um, I, I watched him, he he lost the first set six love and got broken in the, in the first service game of, of the second set. And you're like, and, you know, especially at that event where it's best, you know, two sets out of three, you're thinking the guy's done. And then somehow like out of nowhere, like just would not go away, like just a pit bull. He just fought for every point. And eventually got to the point where his opponent lost himself and, and couldn't believe that the match was getting away from him. And he won and ended up having a pretty good week. I'm not maybe made it to the quarters that year in, in Montreal. But anyway, since then, after watching that, I was like, oh, like I, I'm a fan of this guy. Like he just he refused to quit. Um, he battles on every point. And again, for someone who's who's not the smallest guy and it's a little bit tougher to 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 cover all the surface of, of a court. 
um, he, he does it masterfully. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch, watch him play just because of the effort and the determination that he has. So, um, whenever he comes through and, and is part of things, uh, when we're working, you know, national bank open or previously the Rogers cup, um, he's one I try to watch for sure. Awesome. You may have already answered this, but besides the draft and the national bank open, um, do you get like the summer off pretty much? Yeah, it's funny how it's kind of worked out uh, now that I've been more so on on the hockey side. Like it kind of feels like the life of a teacher a little bit where September rolls around and it's like, all right, you know, back to work with training camps getting going. And then by the time June comes to an end, like you're just you're ready to unplug for a little while. So I, I am very fortunate in that like it wasn't always the case just because, you know, my role within the, the network was was different when I first came on board. But um, the last few years with how they've how they've used me and the opportunities I, I've been given to do like the, the playoffs is, is a, it's a, I say it's wonderfully and beautifully exhausting, right? Like it's so, so neat to be a part of and to follow it along from, you know, round one all the way to when the cups handed out. But by the time you're done, like, I don't know how the players play through all that, like just following it and, and doing our roles um, as a broadcaster, like you're, I feel so mentally fatigued um, by the time it's, it's done just with the travel and, and everything that goes along with it. Um, so yeah, I, I, to answer your question, you know, long-windedly, um, I, I, they are pretty good outside of, you know, once the, the free agency day comes and goes, then it's like, I've got kind of the rest of the month to, to, um, unwind and then, you know, ramp up again for tennis, which I'm more than happy to do. And then a few more weeks again to, to kind of decompress and then it'll be time to get going again. I just find as the years go on, the summers get shorter, right? It just feels like everything goes by quicker. So you wish you always wish you had a little bit more time, but, um, usually when September hits here, you're, you're excited for hockey again. For sure. I don't know if if you were actually at the NHL draft or if you covered the NHL draft, but if you did, was. what was what do you think was the biggest story coming out of the NH- NHL draft? Was it Slavkovsky going first? Was it right slipping all the way to four? What do you think was the biggest story coming out of the NHL draft? Yeah, there was a few. I mean, that first hour, like it was hot in there, man. Like we with Slavkovsky going first and um, I think it was, you know, a bit of a surprise to a huge surprise, I think, to a certain portion of, of the fan base. You could hear the shock in the crowd when uh, Kent Hughes announced his name. Um, and then just the follow-up from there, I'm like, okay, well, where is Shane Wright going to do? And the fact that he went all the way to fourth to Seattle, which I don't think um, a lot of people um, would have anticipated going in. Um, but uh, I think that was certainly a big one because it was in Montreal. Um, I mean, the fact that I thought, you know, Columbus loading up on, on a number of defensemen, um that was that was kind of a a side story to it as well but um you know i think you know the fact that they were hosting it that they had the first pick you know that they they made um the the some trades uh on top of that uh, the montreal canadians did um and bringing in kirby doc from chicago like that was a big one the fact that it kind of started with a bang with you know the debrinket deal with ottawa just a few hours before the draft like it was like oh man what kind of night are we in for here so I think within those first five picks there, that first hour, it just it seemed like you're kind of on your on pins and needles wondering what was going to come next because they, they had the shock and awe factor going. And the fact that it had been you know three years since they'd had it in person, um, it was a great way to start it. So so that was my takeaway. I'd never been to a, you know, a draft in person myself, um, so it was neat to, to just soak all of that in um, with everyone you know, anticipating their home team making the, the first selection. Um, I think that was the big story of the night. Do you think it's the right pick? I, you know what, I, 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 I hope it is for for them. I hope it is for for the kid. I hope Shane Wright has a, a wonderful career in in Seattle. Um, but like truthfully, like doing my my job um, with Sportsnet during the year, like again, you're so laser focused on the NHL. Like I, I didn't spend as much time watching 
um, you know, the junior hockey and, and college hockey or, or the players over in, in Europe. So it would be foolish of me to kind of have a real sense of, of these players. I mean, you talk to, to those that do know and, and try to get, you know, some sort of idea of what these kids are going to be about. But, you know, for me to go watch two minutes worth of highlights on YouTube and to say, this player is going to be that, like, I, I just don't think that's, <laughs> that's totally fair. Right. So um, we'll see. I mean, I, it seems like, you know, not much faces the kid and you're going into a market where, you know, for the first overall pick that was drafted in Montreal, if he goes five games without a point, like, oh my God, look out, right? It's just, uh, that's that's the city, that's the market that comes with the territory. So um, I hope, you know, when the adversity does hit that that he's able to to handle it. But uh, man, he's built like a truck. I walked past him a couple of times there that day at the, the Bell Center and just like, that was, that was a man walking by. I couldn't believe, you know, the kid was only 18 years old. Um, so who knows? It's not too early to say right now. Right. And then of course, five years from now, we'll be doing the 2022 draft redraft. Um, and you know, we'll have all our answers for us, but, uh, as of right now, it's just, you know, teams with, with, and players with great deals of, of potential. So let's see how they handle it. When was, was yeah, that just... Shane, Wright? Sorry, Ty, was that Shane, Wright Stare down as, as real in person as it was <laughs> on the camera or what? Well, I see, I didn't see it till afterwards. Cause I was like, in behind like in the same section up top from where the players were being picked so they came and walked down along the catwalk so like his back was to me and all the players were whenever they got up and and shook hands with Gary Bettman and had their pictures taken so I didn't see it until later on um but yeah like I think there's like I don't think someone because there's a whole bunch of cameras taking their photos right like no one's yelling all right do a serious one right like it's supposed to be like like a happy moment so he was looking at someone no question Oh, absolutely. I wonder if like dropping uh, down a few picks, you know, almost uh, encourages him to come out even stronger out there or if it, uh, you know, discourages him a bit. But I think it would most likely make him more fired up to go out there and prove everyone wrong that didn't pick him, right? Totally. And you're going into a market like Seattle, which again, has much different set of expectations. They're still very much coming into their their own after, I mean, they certainly weren't Vegas in, in year one and that's okay. Like they're an expansion team. Um, so they still got some growing to do and he will grow along with them. So I, I hope he does, mm-hmm. does wonderfully there. Yeah. Just one of those things that time will tell. You did mention though, the, uh, the Brinkett trade and I get to rewind to that a little bit here because I'm a huge <laughs> sense fan and I'm just curious, uh, what are your thoughts on the sense off season there? Do you think they have what it takes to make the playoffs next year or? Still got to make some more moves, or what are your thoughts? Well, I think they're they're putting themselves in a pretty good position. I, I felt like, um, you know, I, I really, as as you know, DJ's gone through the last few years as coach now, like brought in in, in 2019. Um, so he's had you know two shortened seasons and and one full one as as head coach. And you know, there's been some times where there's been some criticism towards him, but I truly felt like he hasn't had like a really half decent playoff caliber lineup to work with yet. So I think now we're getting to the stage where we're, we're able to have those conversations and, and let's see what, what he's able to, to do with it. Right. Like you've got a young group that's motivated. No question. I thought it was really interesting. Pierre Dorian talking about in their exit meetings at the end of the season, Brady Kachuk going in as captain and kind of having a list that he wasn't just him. It was, the, the group uh, as teammates that they kind of compiled and said, all right, these are some improvements we'd like, whether it's in terms of, you know, how our facilities are set up at the rink from, you know, just in terms of what we would like in, in terms of how our team to look for next year. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a push, I think from the player side too, that it's like, all right, enough, enough, enough's enough about growing and, and in the future, like it's, it's time to, to worry about winning now um, because it's, as you know, it, it had been dormant for, 
for a few years uh, here in the nation's capital, to put it mildly. So, um, yeah, he's he's done you know a good tidy bit of business, right? He's he's faced a, a lot of criticism, rightfully so, for some of the decisions that he's made. Uh, Pierre Dorian, I'm speaking of, uh, since he's been the general manager here, um, and so I think now you know rightfully so, he he deserves you know credit for for pulling off some of the deals that that he did. Like I, I don't think uh, a lot. Many uh, would have expected him to to make the to bring a deal and and you know what it took to get him. Um, you know, I'm guessing you know the, the consensus would have been that it would have cost a lot more than than what he gave up. So uh, to get a guy that's a proven 40 goal scorer, um, good on him to to have Claude Giroux pick Ottawa as, as a place to to go play because you know he believes there's there's an opportunity to to do something, um, have some success there. Um, you know, that, that shows that, that things are, are turning in the right direction for, for Ottawa. So I know for the Leaf fans on this podcast, they won't love hearing that. But um, to me, I think an NHL where there's like a legit battle of Ontario again, like where there's a possibility perhaps in the not too distant future, they could meet in the playoffs once again. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm all for that. And maybe that's what the Leafs need to get past the first round. <laughs> we were saying on the podcast uh, last week just like how if they do meet in the playoffs since these guys are both Leaf fans and I'm a Sense fan it might you know shamble the whole podcast it might yeah, be the end well, of yeah, it exactly. get so heated it's just going to spontaneously <laughs> combust <laughs> yeah exactly but uh, have you become a little bit of a Sense fan from spending so much time in Ottawa or maybe you're not allowed to say because it's biased I don't know I'm just curious uh, if you root for the Sense a little bit there being there all the time no, honestly not. Like I, I grew up like a Mighty Ducks fan because Paul Career is my favorite player. And then when he left Anaheim, you know, I, I had family that lived in, in Calgary and that was kind of on the heels of the run in 04. So just kind of through osmosis, I became a Flames fan as I grew up, you know, kind of through high school. But since I've been in, in this line of work, like, um, you know, I, you don't really, you can't, you can't really tweak your mind to, to think yeah. that way. Like you're a fan of people. Like as you meet certain players along the way, and and those that um, you know are, are good to you, and you have you know a good working relationship with, um, you know you want to see them do well um, and succeed, and so like it goes as far as as that. But you know I I totally have no interest in in having you know any type of of skin in the game and and rooting for a, a specific outcome. One like like it's it's just nice mm. to be able to walk away from from a game and just, you know, regardless of, of what happened, if, if we did the best we could as, as a broadcast, then, then that's a, a good night. Um, and hopefully the game was, was entertaining along with it, but no, I, I don't, you know, I, I lived in Toronto for a year. I, I lived in Montreal for two years. Like you never feel like you're getting attached to, to the team. Um, I understand it could be different. Like if you're working in the States and you're actually like, if you're on like their, their home broadcast and and in some cases like you're actually being paid by the team maybe you have a little bit more of a, a tie to to the organization but in my case there there really isn't that that feeling like i just i i hope one day sooner rather than later there's a canadian team that that wins the the stanley cup i, I don't care who it is um but i think you know the fact the fact that the last one was like you know a month before i was i was born um, I would like to see one. And I think a lot of people are ready to see one too. So hopefully that's not uh, too far in the future. Yeah, coming up on the 30th sure. season of no Canadian team winning a cup, it's it's a little bit too long. But I can see why you wouldn't want to have any skin in the game. Imagine game seven and you're covering your team and they throw it to you and you're just as sad as the player interviewing, right? It's like, oh, it's right, so, yeah. Sorry, sorry yeah. Mitch, we <laughs> lost there, buddy. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Wouldn't, it wouldn't be the greatest interview. But from talking about... <laughs> non-playoff teams like the Senators to a playoff team. What was the best energy 
in the playoffs in terms of a building that you were in where you were in it you could just instantly you could feel the buzz it was electric the whole time which building had the most energy in the playoffs that you've ever covered ever covered oh boy um i mean it's tough to beat montreal like there's just a different electricity in the air um and and that's even like in the regular season like going there on a saturday night like there there's not better many better places if there is any uh, to watch a hockey game, and then it's even ramped up in in the playoffs. But but this year, right, it was tough to beat beat Denver, and I, I love going and doing games in Tampa. I think they do a great job. The fans are awesome. Um, but but Denver was really neat, just because I mean it had been so long for them uh, since they had had won a Stanley Cup, and it was just like it was almost like a a younger crowd. It it did have that that college vibe, right? Like I mean, the best example was when they played Blink One Eighty Two, and everybody sang <laughs> along to it. But it was there was it kind of a, a younger feeling in terms of. You know those that were 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 had their bums in the seats. Um, so with all that considered, the fact that they knew that they had a good team that was capable of winning, and that they you know eventually ended up you know doing just that, um, that was that was a, a neat crowd. Like I remember the morning of of Game Five of the the final. I know they ended up losing that one, had to go back to Tampa to close it out. But you know walking to the rink that morning, and I was walking past a, a diner um, on my way to the to the arena. And it was just like every booth along the window, like there's people in avalanche paraphernalia. And this is, you know, 930 in, in the morning. Um, it was just neat that there was already there was everyone had their gear on. They were ready to go. They were ready to, to celebrate a, a Stanley Cup championship. They had to wait a couple more days, as we later found out. But um, it was it was a cool feel ar- around Denver this spring. That's for sure. You were caught singing uh, all the small things there with the avalanche faithful. Are you a big one, Blink-182 fan? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, that's kind of the music that that I I grew up with. Um, I think the first CD I ever owned was uh, was Big Shiny Tunes Six, <laughs> and uh, that had the Rock Show on it. Yep. <laughs> um, so I so I I remember, and I bought that one because Sum Forty One was my favorite band growing up, and that you know, so Fat Lip was on that. So and then you you learned the other tracks that were were on that that album along there with it. But um, so that was my first kind of you know Blink One Eighty Two experience. Um, buying that CD, but um, yeah, I, I've always been a fan of their music. I mean, I, I've never seen them live or anything, uh, but but whenever they come on the radio, I'm certainly not changing the dial. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Are you a punk? Are you a punk guy? You know what? I I guess so. Like I, I never really <laughs> thought of it as as a kid growing up. Like I just I, I like the music and um and I didn't I never owned like a ton of CDs and I was late to like the iTunes game iTunes game and all that, but. Um, yeah, whether it was, you know, yeah, some 41 or, or blink 182 or, um, God, good Charlotte, like those all, like it was, that was cool. Um, but I never had like a favorite genre per se, but, but that music, I I definitely, it was only years later when you realize, oh yeah, as you're going through like, you know, pre-created playlists, uh, online that, you know, pop punk of the two thousands. And then you're like, oh, this is all the stuff I listened to when (laughs) I was, you know, a young teen or whatever. Uh, that I realized that, yeah, I guess I was into that kind of music. Oh, absolutely. I, I was the same way at the Sum 41 to Blink-182, The Simple Plans. I was all into yes. that punk rock <laughs> band. It's, it, was, it was unbelievable back then, and then it still holds its weight to this day. It never disappoints coming on the radio, like you said. Yeah, I, I know. They're that, like, classic now, don't they? Like, it's yeah. almost like classic rock. Like, our parents grew up listening <laughs> yeah. to that. And they're like, oh, I love this song, you know? And, like, <laughs> and it's back in the day now. Like, we, we think of it as a classic now, but. Right, you know, you right. Remember listening to it yesterday. Well, I get a kick out of like so much of my my TikTok al- algorithm has gone towards like I get all those videos of like uh, 
let's see if you recognize these hit songs from the early 2000s. And then they yeah. play them all. I'm like, are, do people actually struggle with this? Yeah, like, they're like obvious ones. <laughs> I, I'm the same way, dude. I'm like, how did you not know? Right. I get mad at them if they don't know it. It's like, how did you not know? Right. Where were right. you, dude? <laughs> yeah, I know. So anyway, I guess that means that they've been around for a while. I'm the, I'm the youngest one here. And, and uh, so like I was a little child when that stuff was going on. But um even I like know all the songs. Like I usually go ten for ten on those. Um, right. Any warp tours in the past for you? Or <laughs> no, no. Like again, like I grew up on Vancouver Island. I didn't go to my first like real concert till uh, like I moved to Toronto for uh, to work for Sportsnet. I was you know in my twenties at at that point. Um, so I was yeah, I was very um, I was very shaded from that just growing up. Like I guess because I. Uh, I don't think some 41 ever came, certainly not where I grew up, but you probably have to go to Victoria or, or Vancouver uh, to see, you know, a band of, of that size play. Uh, but it was just never, I don't know. I never really sought it out or I just, I had some CDs and, and that was, was good enough. Only when it's, I got older, then I kind of realized, Hey, going to a concert might be fun. Um, but when I was younger and those guys were kind of at their peak, um, I guess I was probably too young to go to a concert of, of theirs anyways. At that time anyways but yeah no it didn't happen and then unfortunately some 41 was here at blues fest this year and it just the way my my schedule was and as i said i had family in town um didn't get to to go but i would have loved to go see them there oh absolutely absolutely so i'm gonna bring it back on track here just like uh in that colorado tampa series i'm pretty sure that's the series it was in you had a a viral interview with charles barkley where this guy was you know just complimenting you up and down the hair the canadian tom brady how did that interview come about? And is that something as it's going on, you're like, oh, this is this is gold. Like, this is going viral. I'm going to clip this forever. Is that something you realize as it's going on? Or is it just kind of like another another interview for you? Uh, well, no, certainly if you get to interview someone like Charles Barkley, it's never another interview. Uh, but we just found out like, I don't know, maybe an hour before the game that, that he was going to be in, in the building. Uh, so he was he was actually up in the commissioner's suite. Uh, so that's how the league knew and let us know. And so we coordinated with the NHL. Um, we'd love to have him on because in the first intermission, he went on with the ESPN panel that was there on site. Um, and then I went up there and, and interviewed him in, in the second intermission. Um, so yeah, I think you're, you're obviously like at right at the end of the intermission, you're worried about, you know, you don't want to go too long and then you're, you know, cutting into play. Um, but anyway, but you can't also can't cut Sir Charles off. No. Um, so so we got going there and and he seemed like he was in a chatty mode. And I talked to him a little bit, you know, beforehand and uh, just, you know, explain kind of what we were looking to do. And I just I was so blown away by just how gracious and, and welcoming and friendly he was um, because, you know, he didn't know me from from a can of paint. And so but then he so he's sitting down, we're doing this. And then I'm like, all right, you know, we're ready to do this. Yeah. OK. So then he stands up and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> um, I didn't realize, I, I thought he was taller than he actually was. I think he's only six, six or six, seven, but he felt like six ten. Um, and, uh, so anyway, we get going and then, and then, yeah, not till, till the end when, when he says the, the Canadian Tom Brady line, like, I'm just like, Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> um, and I, I figured like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm sure I'll get some texts over this, but I, I totally did not foresee it. It kind of having, uh, the life of its own that, that it had there for, for a couple of days, but. Anyway, it, it was neat. Like you never really think or plan for something like that, but um, you know when it happens, you just you you enjoy it. And um, I, I get sick of myself kind of after a while, um, and just kind of having having uh, it kind of be in in certain 
in certain areas of social media for for a little while. I'm like, all right, enough already. Let's let's move on here. <laughs> um, but but you know, at the same time, you have to enjoy it because you don't get a chance to to talk to someone like him very often. And so that's yeah, that'll be one for for the real. That was that was a career highlight for sure. Oh, absolutely. He's probably he's probably one of the biggest names in broadcasting right now for sure. And so totally. to have a to have a a clip of that in your highlight reel is something that. Yeah, that's something I feel like you'd never forget, right? Be like, you tell your grandkids or your grandkids' grandkids, like, oh, dude, my, my grandpa interviewed Charles Barkley one time, and it was electric. Right. And here's the clip on YouTube, and that's something right. yeah, that's something that you'll that'll last forever, right? One of the great ball players of of all time, and it was funny. He, he I think he ended up hanging around Tampa for the next couple of days after that, and so um, he was spotted at a whole bunch of different spots just uh, around town having a, a good time. So. Um, yeah, thankfully, you know, a lot of people around there got the, the chance to to see him and, and say hi. And it sounds like he was he was willing to chat with with everybody. So that was that was great. Like him and John Cooper are good buddies, right? Um, that story's been out there. So I think he was there. I think you know, fan of hockey, but you know, cheering on Cooper and and the Lightning. Um, so that's kind of neat. Like it's 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 cool. Like you know, when Charles Barkley's at at a hockey game, like all of a sudden the the sport feels a little a little cooler, doesn't it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Would that be like your favorite moment so far in your career or what would be your favorite moment? Uh, if you were putting together a highlight reel kind of thing, what would be like the number one clip on that reel? Um, yeah, I, I guess that would, that would be up there. Um, uh, just the, the uniqueness of, of it all. Like I, I think, again, I'm trying, you know, I'm not bringing this up just cause we've got some Leaf fans on there. I, I'm not trying to open old wounds, but like the David Ayers game <laughs> was another, like, where were you when type moment. And so the, to interview him right after he came off the ice, as that became like the biggest story in sports for, for the next week or so. Um, you know, that was one that, that I'll remember too. So yeah, just, just the ones like that, 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 you know, you never really envision or expect um, that, that kind of end up, you know, surprising you in, in a big way, but, um, and then, you know, not one in particular that jumps out, but you know, the last few years being able to be on, on the ice and interviewing players after they win the Stanley cup is like the ultimate, like that's kind of oh, yeah. for me in my role, interviewing players like that's that's the 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 coup de gras right like you you work all year to kind of be ready for for a moment like that and to be able to just see the emotion like right there in front of you of someone you know realizing and achieving their their lifelong dream it's that's pretty neat too sure well, and uh, i've seen you before uh sorry dk did you have a question you wanted well, to i was just i was just gonna say go, going in like to as soon as they win the stanley cup i bet you those are the most fun interviews to do because the, all the cliches are out the window they don't have to protect mm. themselves anymore. And like you say, they're going through the best moments of your life. So you probably, you probably get some of the best interviews as, as guys are winning the cup, I bet. Yeah, totally. And, and it's never really in most cases about the game anymore either, right? Like it's about the moment, like the fact that they've, they've won the Stanley Cup. And so, so that's kind of neat to try to, you know, be prepared enough going in and, and to understand, you know, the path of, of different guys and, and just little tidbits and, and, um, anecdotes that you could have ready about, you know, the journey to get to, to where they are and have their, their dream realized. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's a fun 45 minutes to kind of go through. Um, and I know they're just, they're just right. They're not thinking, they're just talking and letting the emotions flow. And, you know, those are the best ones usually. For sure. I saw that uh, you don't always interview players too. Like one time, I think you're in Carolina and they got you to interview a pig or something there. What was uh, <laughs> yeah. like, did they tell you ahead of time that was going to happen? Or was that kind of like the Barkley thing where it was an hour before they said that? Or how did that no, all uh, kind of get organized? No, there was, uh, so 
we had a producer at hockey. He was at hockey night for a long time, like 30 years. Um, he's like, he's still with the CBC now, but now just works on the Olympic side. Um, guy by the name of, uh, Shirelli Najak and him and I worked together. Uh, we started in 2017 and worked through till last, the end of last season. Um, and so him and I were, were on for that, that series. And, um, he's one of the more, more most creative, um, and just soulful producers that this country has. Uh, and, you know, I had fortune to work with a, a lot of really great people at, at Sportsnet. And um, he was such a wonderful mentor to me. And so he always just comes up with, with w- just off the wall ideas that are not like some, you know, some ideas are, are just so far out there that just doesn't make sense, but there's always a tie in that, that he puts into things. And uh, anyway, so I think that was before I think game three of that series and, you know, Carolina had been smacked uh, around pretty good the first two games in Boston. And so, you know, trying to have some some good juju. And I think at that point in the playoffs for them, any game that Hamilton had went to, I think they were like 10 and 0 or something when he was at, <laughs> at the game, when Hamilton the yeah. was at the game. So he was like their good luck charm. Um, yeah. So he, he had arranged, you know, doing something with with him um, just before before the game that night. So at least I kind of had the day to think about it, but I still, I'm like, yeah. like, how, how do you talk to an animal that doesn't speak? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I remember like I got back to the rink that afternoon and I'm like, how, like what, where is my mind supposed to be for this? And uh, <laughs> he's like, just think about like Ron McLean when he does hockey day in Canada and he's out there on the outdoor rinks and he's got, you know, a little crowd of like young kids around him. And he's telling stories about things that happened 200 years ago. And the kids have no idea what he's talking about, but they're just <laughs> looking at him and they're listening. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, I got it. Like that, that, then that, then that clicked for me. Right. Um, so anyway, that was, that was, that was a lot of fun to, to do because again, yeah, I had a little more time to prepare for it, but um, another one of those, you know, I never thought I'd, I'd be in this, in this situation. And, uh, and the, the, the owners, their parents, um, because I guess he had become obviously a, a phenomenon during that playoff run in, in Carolina, um, where, you know, much of the local TV, you know, wanted to do little thing, tidbits with him and stuff. And, uh, so I guess he, he was quite attentive to when I was, was talking to him and, and he kind of turned his head and, and looked like he was listening. Yeah. And they said afterwards, they're like, he's never done that. Like he actually looked <laughs> like he was listening to you. So um yeah i guess i think you said his name or something yeah and he turned his head and was like nodding yeah. his head or looking That's at you right. he's like listening for sure that was hilarious i love yeah. that you know those extra little unique segments definitely put a smile on your face when you're watching you know hockey games and whatnot so that oh was, that's that good why well, I, I appreciate you don't turn turn the channel at, at that point so yeah <laughs> no that, i love those over, things over i love the ron McCle- <laughs> yeah over a long playoff series like you you need for us, like you need stuff like that to kind of just keep your, your mind engaged. Right. Because it just for games every second night, it's like, all right, how do we do something different from the night before? So stuff like that is, is always fun to sink your teeth into. Did you close out that, uh, close out that bit with a line? Was that a line from Charlotte's web? That'll do Hamilton. That'll do or something. Oh man. I can't remember. I feel like I'm not smart enough to do that. Um, (laughs) like, like if I, if I was a good broadcaster, I would have, um, but I just know at the end, um, we did, uh, I think I had someone toss me a hockey night towel. And so we put the towel around like we would do for, for interviewing a player at the end. So, so Hamilton got a hockey night towel at, at the end of our, our bit there. And then before game four, like, you know, like at the start of the pregame show, like you'll see different scenic shots 
right when Ron McClain comes on the air, right? Like there's PNC arena, there's fans tailgating outside. There's, you know, Jordan Stahl walking into the arena. And then we cut to one and it's me walking outside towards the rink. Like I got my suit on my sunglasses and I'm walking, walking. And then the camera pulls out and like turns and I'm like, I'm pulling Hamilton in his little red flyer <laughs> wagon. And so, so that was him and I arriving to the game before, before game four. So that was fun to keep that going. Oh, it's too bad awesome. it was a sweep because if we had come back for game six, we had more ideas. But anyway, right. that, that one ended in four. I think you should go watch that interview again. I'm pretty sure you did. I, yeah. Like, uh, I used that in my, in, in the last time we spoke, I used that in my, in my video. And I'm pretty sure it was like, that'll do Hamilton. I, I don't think you're giving yourself as much credit as you deserve. <laughs> man, oh, man. All right. I may have to go look that up again because, yeah, as I said, that feels like that's something a good broadcaster would do. So it should <laughs> you're a great broadcaster. I don't know why you keep saying you're no yeah. good. <laughs> no, no, no. I no. appreciate that. But yeah, that was, that was a fun one. And like you say, too, once you get into the playoffs and it's monotonous, you can only hear we need pucks in deep. We need to battle hard. We need to get bodies in front of the net <laughs> so much. So it's good to have a little bit of a like a, a describe like a difference in interview. Right. Where, it, yeah, it's a little pig, but it's funny. It gets the people going and they laugh, whatever. Right. So that's good. So going from some of your best interviews, Charles Barkley, the pig. What are some of the worst and most awkward interviews that you've ever had where your second question in thinking I better wrap this up? Um, I mean, like, I guess at, at the time, like the Marshawn interview from that, that was that same year. Um, I mean, that one got, got a lot of play at, at the time, but, um, I mean, it was just one of those ones where it was clear the player had no interest being there. So it was like, all right, let's end this thing. Cause let's, you know, instead of wasting his time, my time, the viewer's time, uh, let's, let's get this, get this out of here. And then it, I guess, honestly, the most, the more uncomfortable part of it was just like the follow afterwards, the fact that it kind of became a thing. and. Um, you know, it, it got a lot of attention. Um, you know, I just, for me, it was, like, I had no issue with it. Like if a player, you know, is not interested in doing an interview, I, I won't take any offense. Um, but it was more so the fact that, you know, I got in this business to tell stories, not like be part of the story. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a bit uncomfortable, you know, the next 24, 48 hours. Um, so that was one. There was another one I, I did with uh, with Shea Weber in Montreal. It was the night it was PK Subban's first game back um, in Montreal after they were traded for each other, and I interviewed him in the first intermission. And I asked like just like a real boneheaded question about like the ceremony that they did for PK beforehand and what it was like watching that. Like it was just dumb, and it was kind of a worst case scenario because I think he I think he got it like a penalty late in the period that he was pissed off about, so like he was already mad about that. And then like that happened. And I think like, I got two questions and the interview was maybe like a grand total of 16 seconds. Um, so I was kicking myself for that. But then like a few days later, I on an off day, like I saw him just after practice in the locker room and, and just apologized. I was like, sorry, man, like I, I shouldn't have asked what I asked. Like it was just the wrong time for that. And then he was like, no, 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 it's all, it's all good, man. Like I was just pissed off because you know the penalty I'd taken. And then our like working relationship was never better from that point onwards. Right. So sometimes, you know, something good can, can come from that. But um, I guess those are the, those are the two that kind of come to mind <laughs> right away in terms of ones where you're like, man, yeah, those didn't go great. Was that Marshawn <laughs> one, the one where you're like, did you get your skate sharpened? Well, that was, that was a few games previous and there was a narrative out there that like, then the subsequent one after the series was over, um, was like in relation to to that but i i don't believe it it was yeah um but yeah the well the skate sharper one i was honestly trying to play into like he had he had made a comment the day before like the off day between games one and two 
um, that that I thought was funny because he had mentioned something. You know, he, you know Cam Atkinson was trying to dull my skate, um, and so I was like, "Oh, that's that's brilliant." And so then I tried to like made an attempt to like go down his path of 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 uh, like the story that he had, he was trying to spin there, and I was trying to play into it, uh, but that didn't go well either. Oh, it was so funny to watch. I, I was loving every second of that. It's because it's the way he skated away right after it looked like you just threw a chirp at him and he's just gone after it. It was like, look right. at it wasn't. There. I know, I know. And that was, and that was like, that was a good, good lesson for me too, because certainly that was not my intention at all. But um, yeah, looking back afterwards, I was like, yeah, I, I, I could have done that better too. No, oh, that was probably close. pretty hard to like read with the, uh, Probably hard to read what the players are kind of feeling at the time too, when they're in game mode, right? Like, what right, kind of that's the, that was part of it, right? Yeah. Like, it was bad timing because you know, warm up before a playoff game, like they're wired, they're thinking hockey, and there's not a lot of time for for giggling then. But it's just that you know, as we talked about, the grind of of the playoffs, and it's the same thing every second day. It's like, how do you yeah. you know, you're trying to come up with a line of questioning that at least is a little bit different from you know the typical ones that, that you would ask in in that spot. So that was part of the the inspiration for it was like, all right, this could be something different, but um, it was, it was the wrong kind of different in that moment. There were some guys that like have some good interviews, even when they're in, like I've, I've seen that, uh, this might've been after the game, but that Phil Kessel interview, like on the bench with Pierre Maguire. How's your breath? breath? (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's a classic. Like, I feel like uh, Phil always has like a good sense of humor, but actually maybe now I'm kind of second guessing myself because I remember him in Toronto. It was kind of like right. it was always, you had an extreme hatred for the media, right? Yeah, I don't the, the relationship wasn't as good there. Um, but in terms of guys like good interviews, uh, like I, I enjoyed um, Henrik Lundqvist at the end of a game interviewing him because it just seemed like he just like just let everything out, like he just dedicated everything he had in the tank to like a sixty minute hockey game, and then he was just telling you all about it. Um, I always like appreciated just the honesty there. Um, I did a sit down with Tyler Sagan a few years ago when Dallas came through Montreal and and was blown away by like how engaging he was. Um, but there's you know there's a number of 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 good ones like you know McKinnon I found in, in the playoffs was was pretty honest and, and revealing about things. Um, Eric Johnson to stay you know with with the the Colorado theme was was really good. Uh, you know sometimes it it comes and and goes. Like you can get into just, you know, the dog days of a season and, you know, players are sick of talking to the media. The media is sick of asking questions. So it can be challenging. Um, but again, that that's where, you know, you, you've really got to push yourself to like, okay, how do we keep this fresh and, and to try to at least engage whoever you're speaking to, to make it worth it for them and also for, for the viewer, right? Because that's ultimately why you're doing it. Of course. Can you explain how like a typical hockey net in Canada goes for you from like the, the moment you get to the rink to the, the moment you leave, you can skip obviously like the minute details if it's going to take too long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then I, I plug in my computer and then I plug it into the wall <laughs> yeah. to make sure I've got enough. No. Um, well, I mean like it starts in the morning, right. And, and you'll go to the rink for, I mean, not as many teams do do full morning skates anymore, but usually there's some sort of media availability in the morning. And then, that afternoon, I'm I'm in my hotel room if I'm on the road, uh, you know, as I am most weekends, just getting my notes ready. Um, so that takes you know a good part of of two hours or, or longer, depending on how much time I have. And then um, again, week to week, sometimes you'll have like a pre-tape, like a rival type interview, as they call it. I usually try for a seven o'clock game. I try to get back by quarter after four ish, 
Um, and so sometimes you have like an interview to do at, you know, 445 or, or five o'clock with, you know, the coach of a team or, or maybe a player. Um, so you do that then, and then, you know, you're getting connected with your, with your producer and just going over elements with, you know, the other commentators, whoever it's, is in the booth that night. Um, you know, all the video elements that we have graphics, pictures, um, just so we've kind of seen everything and, and know what we have going into the game. Um, you know, if, if we're tweaking anything that we're doing in our, our opening that night at seven o'clock, like, you know, if things change, then, you know, you've got to be in communication about that. Um, and then it's just kind of, you know, getting my head around, you know, what I'm doing at, at seven, those, you know, that 45 seconds just to kind of set the scene. Like that's kind of the really sets the stage for, for the night for me, right? Like if, if that goes well, then it's like, all right, let's, let's have a good game. But if it doesn't go well, then it's like, ah, off to a bad start. Um, you know, like I imagine like, you know, for a baseball player, like your first at bat, you go down looking like it probably doesn't feel great. Right. Yeah. Like you'd love to, at least if you ground out, at least like you're putting the ball in play and, and you feel like you're, you're into the game a little more. Um, and then, you know, through the game, I'm, you know, obviously you're connected to the show the, in, the entire time. And, um, you know, depending on, it's never like set in stone when you come, um, come on with whatever you have to, to add, whether it's a story or, um, an anecdote, just something to tie into what, you know, the guys in the booth are talking about. Um, but it just, just depends on how the game flows. So whether it's out of a commercial break is usually the most, most common, um, or it could be on a whistle if there's an icing and you've got, you know, 20 seconds to, to quickly pump in with something. Again, it just totally is, is dependent, but your mind is constantly as the game's on, you know, playing out as you've got your notes with you and you're okay, okay, what, what do we have that could work at this point? Is there anything else that I, I haven't thought of um, that, you know, I could tie into what's going on to what their, you know, our guys are talking about to what we just saw happen within the last five minutes of the game. Um, that just, that's just, just where your mind's at. Right. And then uh, we don't do as many intermission interviews as we did before. Um, but, you know, I'll, uh, we'll always do one, you know, post game. And so depending on where, where the game's at, you kind of start thinking, who do you want to talk to? And, um, you know, who, who would be the best, best choice at, at that point. And sometimes you don't know, like if it goes into overtime, then you're, you're at the behest of, you know, the, the result. Um, and then you're, you're getting ready for that. And usually, you know, once you knock off that, that post-game interview, that's, that's kind of the, the end of the night. And then by that point, I'm usually starved. And so let's go, you know, get, get a bite to eat somewhere. Hopefully someone's still got their kitchen open and, and, you know, a drink or two to kind of unwind with, with the rest of the crew, depending on where we are. And, uh, and then that's kind of the, that's, that's the night, that's the night. And then it's, you know, back to the hotel and, and on a plane the next morning. Fair. So you, you don't have to, to stick like, around. Oh, sorry, Ty. I would just want to ask you, you don't, you don't have you go to, ahead, Steve, you, go ahead. <laughs> you don't have to stick around like for too long after the game. Not too long. Like I'll, I'll usually, uh, I will, you know, listen to, to the press conferences afterwards. Um, and sometimes, you know, whether it's, we've got a lot of writers that do like we do TV hits with. So like, you know, it used to be Chris Johnston for a long time, but, um, you know, with him moving on now, like, it, you know, I worked a lot with Luke Fox last year. So we would tape something, um, after games on, on Saturdays, um, if, if that's what, uh, you know, our assignment desk wanted, but, um, so yeah, it's never like the horn sounds and I'm gone, but, um, but you know, it's not too long after the game. Like if you're, if you're a writer there and you're, and you're filing a post game story, you're, you're usually there much longer than than i would be right i wanted to i wanted to ask because um when i was in college i did like an internship with the niagara ice dogs i was kind of like the videography guy for um 
like the social media team. And one of my responsibilities was um, doing the post game interview with the coach. So if everything went well, it was, I record the interview. Like I set up the tripod, set up the camera, um, reporters, uh, fire off a few questions done in a couple minutes. I put the video in the editing, um, export it, put it to YouTube and I'm gone in like 20 minutes, maybe after the game. And then I get the bus home and I go back to Welland. <laughs> but, um, if you know anything, how like the situation with the ice dogs ownership and coaches ended there, the coach at the time was Billy Burke and he's got a bit of a temper. So, um, mm-hmm. if the team lost, which they often did because that was the year they traded, um, they killed Thomas and, um, Bill Tomasino at the deadline among other pieces. So for the second half of the year, they were like, uh, they're pretty well, like the worst team in junior hockey. So when they lost, you would get all rattled and you would rant and you would swear. And that means I had to go back. And when I'm editing it, I have to cut out all the swearing, cut out all the cursing. And then because of the length of the interview, the export or like the render took like exponentially longer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was on a brutal laptop, like a terrible laptop. So the render would be like 30 minutes just itself. And, and then I have to upload it to the, to YouTube and everything. And then, I would be so pissed like when this would happen because I, like when he'd be ranting there, I'd be saying I'd be more mad than him because <laughs> I'd be, I'd know that I'm missing the last bus. <laughs> back oh, to, back so then to I'd Welland. get home. Well, then this is the thing. And since junior hockey games are usually on week or weekends, um, if the game ended on like, or if the game was like a, on a Friday or a Saturday, um, it's prime Uber rates because all and, and the rink is right downtown. So I'd have to catch like a $65 Uber back to Welland when this <laughs> guy ranted on like a Friday or a Saturday. And I'm just sitting there pissed while looking across the street at all the like college kids, fellow college kids, like lining up for the bars and stuff. I, it was bad. <laughs> it was terrible. And then of course, like I would try to like call my friends, try and get like a ride home. Yeah. And then they're all drinking, right? It's all college kids on, on the right. weekend. So yeah, it was, uh, there was a couple like, uh, expensive Ubers that, um, had me, had me steaming a little bit. Right. And suddenly you're <laughs> questioning your scholastic path. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I just want to, that's why I wanted to ask how long you're, you're there for after the game. So you're not dying to get out of there like I was, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, thankfully I, uh, yeah, there wasn't as much as, as stake for, for me to, to get out usually. Um, you know, if nothing, it was like, yeah, get somewhere that you could actually get some food. But yeah, usually there was, it was, you know, half hour afterwards, you're, you're probably done half hour, 45 minutes. Sure. So like you question say, there, Kyle. Oh, sorry, about, uh, yeah, I just had a question about those post game interviews you mentioned there. Like when you're doing those, do you get to pick the player you're going to interview or like, does someone else do that for you? And is there ever a time where a player's just like, no, I don't want to talk or anything like that ever happen? Um, post game, usually players are, are pretty good about about talking um i uh, i can't remember many many times where they've they've blown that off because uh, it's always after a win right and the game's over right. uh but it's usually it's between like the producer and i like we'll be kind of communicating like hey you know what do you think about this guy sometimes it's obvious um right. but yeah like it's it's i don't think it's ever solely like one person's decision right like you know between right. you know the producer and i and um uh, you know maybe somebody else in the truck will chime in and and say hey you know well, this guy did this and, you know, this was grab the OT game winner score or something like that kind of thing. Right. I mean, yeah. So again, the, so that, in that situation, it's a little more, more obvious, right? The guy scores the overtime winner then okay, grab him. But you know, on some nights where you, maybe it's, it's not as, as obvious of a a pick, then it's certainly open for, for discussion. 
Um, and then, and then the playoffs, it becomes a completely different animal because you've got multiple networks doing one game. And so it's like an order of priority, depending on who you are, where you are. Uh, and so, mm. you know, you ask for that guy, well, that person's already taken them. So, okay, well now you got to go with plan right. B or a plan C. So it can become a lot more of uh, gymnastics to try to, to try to find your, your guy after, after a game. But, um, you know, usually it's pretty straightforward. Well, right and and just I'm I'm gonna circle back because this is a big thing that I wanted to ask too. As you said, like as soon as the as soon as the game's over, you're looking for a place where the kitchen's open where you can go grab a couple drinks. Um, I've heard that's a massive thing for media on the road. They get out and they get after it in between games if they don't have to get away. Have you ever had any funny stories in sports? You don't have to drop names with certain guys or players where you're dragging yourself into work next day, thinking, man, that player. Or that person gets to lay in bed while I'm having to stand in front of the camera here today. Oh, you know what? I uh, I, I really like the night before a game. Like I, I have no interest in having any big nights because like the idea of playing hurt like just does not appeal to me. Especially because <laughs> like again, you've got to be able to like think. Yep. Um, yeah. And so to have that part kind of cloudy for the next day, uh, like it just does not interest me. So I, I try to be, you know, and for, you know, it's not like it's, it's ever an issue. Um, but you know, it's usually more so, you know, after a game where if you don't got much going on the next day, then maybe you can, you can enjoy yourself, um, a little more that night. Um, you know, if you just got to get on a plane or something, then yeah, you can kind of drag yourself to the airport and catch, catch a, you know, a couple Z's on, on the flight. But, um, I will say I was, uh, I won't, I won't, I won't use the name of the, the reporter I was with. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but, um, so in 2018, I was working the Eastern conference finals, Tampa, Washington. It was the first time I'd worked a conference final series for, for sports like on the broadcast. And so, uh, there was another reporter that was there just covering that series. And so the off day between game one and two, the teams had like early, like late morning avails. So we were done our stuff by, you know, early afternoon. So, um, we go down to, uh, to Ybor city, which is just like, you know, a little area outside of downtown Tampa. And it's, you know, known for, um, I mean, Cuban population and it's like a big, like, you know, cigar spot. Like if you like your cigars, like in Tampa, you go to Ybor city. I'm not a big cigar guy. Um, but the guy I was with was, and we were with, you know, a couple colleagues, there's four of us. And so we're down, you know, just having some, some midday, uh, you know, couple of beers enjoying the sun you know great weather in florida in may and it went tennis was on so we were watching that and um and then we went uh we went to dinner later on um in like the south howard area of tampa this nice little spot sat at the bar and so there you know another playoff game was on so we we're watching that and uh you know one bottle of wine between the four of us so that goes quickly so in comes you know bottle number two that comes quite quickly bottle number three comes we get through that and they order a fourth and i'm like okay and it's getting late like it's 10 o'clock i'm like all right okay one bottle for each of us like we've been here a while it's not like we've been you know slamming it back but you know four bottles four people it's okay um but i remember we finished that i went to the washroom thinking all right time to get the bills like time to go like i'm already out later than i would like to be i've got a game to do tomorrow and then as i'm walking back um, this asshole is like waving the bartender over and like in comes bottle number five of red <laughs> wine. And I'm like, Oh my God, like it just, my heart sank. 
<laughs> and so we had to gut it out for a fifth bottle of wine. And I know like, I mean, you could have, you know, it wasn't nearly the craziest night you can have, but I, it was enough at that point between like the day drinking. It'd just been a long shift, right? At that point. And I'd wanted to get a bed at a decent time. And that was out the window. And now I had like enough booze in me where I woke up the next morning. I was like, I need to get to a CVS. I need like some Pepto. I need Tylenol. I need something. Um, so I had to gut my way through that day, but I was like, never again. Um, so anyway, so that the, the reporter who goes unnamed remains an asshole to this day, but still a good, still a good friend. Uh, so yeah, that was, we all, we'll joke about that every now and then whenever I see him. Yeah. Poor guys, you guys felt like the penalty killer crew, eh? Yeah. Extended shift. Yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah. we couldn't, we couldn't clear the puck. It's just like, yeah. they had us hemmed in. Yeah, that's right. Unreal. Five five bottles versus four killers. It was not good. <laughs> that was awesome. We're almost at an hour, so um, we'll let you go, Kyle. But um, we have one more question. You've probably yeah, heard it. it. You've probably gotten from everywhere. But um, we got to know the hair routine, man. <laughs> I know. Sorry, I got a hat on tonight. I just I we were running around today. So I anyway, it's summer mode. I just I, I wear the hat as much as possible. Less maintenance. Um, it's honestly, it's, it's, it's been, um, like simplified over the years, I guess. Like it's, there's way less kind of now than, than there used to be. It used to be a lot longer on the top, but I don't know. There's no real secret to it, boys. I got to be honest with you. I just get out of the shower, uh, give it a comb to kind of give it a sense of the direction I'd like it to go. And then, um, I will blow dry it, um, just to make sure it's nice and dry before you put any product in. And then. I use like I've I've kind of rotated through different products over the years, but uh, I use this like pomade stuff uh, at first and and get that in, and that kind of sets the the initial hold. Um, and then I've got this uh, like molding clay um, that's like it's pretty wicked in terms of um, like how strong of a hold it has. Um, and so I'll do a little bit of that in afterwards, and that like I'll only do that again if I'm like working. Then I just kind of need to set it and forget it rather than worry about if it's fallen out of place throughout the a night. Um, so that's, that's kind of it, you know, blow dry two products and away we go. So I used to have, like, I would do the hairspray thing cause I'd really need to hold it in place. Like there used to be a lot more that would, I put this cream in <laughs> yeah. and then blow dry. Um, like it used to be a lot, a lot more steps, <laughs> but thankfully I've, I've simplified as the years have gone on. Do you know the specific products or is that like secret sauce? That's the, no, the, the, uh, the secret the, sauce. Yeah, I, uh, the 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 one brand it it escapes me now. If I had it close by, I just I'd show you. Um, yeah, I, I forget the name of of the pomade, but the molding clay is Davinus, um, and I've used that for for a number of years now. Um, but yeah, the other one comes in like a like a fairly tall kind of jar with like a kind of a gold colored tin uh, lid. And the the product itself is kind of like an orangey red color. Um, anyway, but for whatever right. reason, the- <laughs> I hope you guys are writing this down, eh? Exactly. Every Canadian just took notes on this. The whole yeah. interview just happened. <laughs> they right. took notes on it. I'm telling you, I got, yeah. when we, I told all my buddies, all my family, we got Kyle Bacostas coming on. They're like, you have to ask about the hair. You have to. Ask. It's, you, <laughs> you may have the most famous head of hair in all of Canada. Like you might actually have it. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I'm not going that far, but it's funny. Like I, I mean, even like in high school, I just, you know, you'd get ready in the morning, like towel dry and like, however it kind of fell. I, I used to wear it like my hair was way longer too. 
and just however it fell like that was kind of how it looked for the day like i never gave much thought to, to actually styling it um so the fact that it's it's now yeah taken on a life of its own it's it's hilarious to me because i, I don't know <laughs> i didn't see this coming but it's fun yeah that's awesome. so I'm using a Dove two in one shampoo conditioner in the in, in the shower. Is that like yeah. you saved, or or should I start by changing that? No, I, I think um, I uh, for the longest time I didn't use use conditioner. Um, I just let like the natural oils, like it was fine. I, I didn't I didn't feel I, I needed it. But now apparently uh, the the guy that cuts my hair, he tells me every seven years your um, kind of characteristics of your hair change a bit. And so now I'm at the point where I need the conditioner every now and then just to kind of keep it feeling not too like dry. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Two and one, I guess is saving you some time. If you're, if you're okay <laughs> with how it's looking, then, then that's fine. Well, I think uh, I got I like mean, a four in one or something. In yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, motor oil, the shampoo conditioner wash. and, and <laughs> yeah. Body wash. That's right. <laughs> dish soap, whatever yeah. you need it for. <laughs> that's right. That stuff's gotta be toxic. I was looking for you to tell me I'm doing something wrong is the thing, because now, now I feel like I, it, you're just blessed with uh, good hair. And well, I, I, I'm very fortunate to have my brother and I both have, you know, our mother's genes when it comes to, to hair chromosomes. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, I just feel like, who am I to tell anyone how to, how to do their <laughs> hair? If it works for you, then, then stick with it. Um, yeah, I, I cycle through different, different shampoo. Apparently it's good to keep your hair guessing, but I don't know. I saw that Troy Polamalu there, uh, head and shoulders commercial. And I thought that was the, the ticket there. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, back that's in the day, right. But, yeah. yeah. Between him and Pat Mahomes. I'm yes. like, yeah, that's right. If it works for them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They've got a good head. Can't go wrong so. with that and shoulders. Yeah. yeah. So there's more than one answer. That's right. <laughs> Unreal. All right. Thank you so much, Kyle, for doing this. It was, um, glad, uh, you were able to find some time and, uh, we went all the way to an hour. I know told you we'd be wrapped up but uh i think this was good it's a sign it went well right yes that's right no this was uh, the hour went by quick boys it was fun chatting with you thanks for having me on thank you that was really nice to meet you kyle big fan of yours can't wait to see you uh covering those sense games and other hockey games and uh keep up the great work man i appreciate that ty yeah great to meet you all you guys too and yeah dylan you too buddy and john good to see you again so yeah thanks thanks again for for having me it was fun yeah thank you very much Kyle. we appreciate it a ton brother all right, man. Be good. Right. Good yeah. luck with the podcast and everything else. And um, yeah, don't lose uh, too many hair follicles over hockey. Next season. <laughs> it's it's awesome, hard. If, if they go out in the first round, I'm pulling it out. So it's it's just a tough for yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Can't go through My that hair's again. growing in thicker now. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's as good as it's looked in five years. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the Leafs, total different story. Yeah, yeah, getting worse. Right. First round exit every time. <laughs> that's Kyle Bukoskis of Sportsnet, Hockey Night in Canada. One of the best in the business, like we've been saying uh, since the start of the episode. What an interview, eh? Way to sit oh, down and a have beauty. a couple of laughs with the boys. Share some knowledge. Yeah, you get to see another side of, uh, of of him by doing an interview like that. Eh? Like you see him on TV and stuff. You know he's a great guy just from from watching him on there. But when you actually get to interact with him, you get another sense of kind of the the type of person he is, and you can tell he's just a beauty. Eh? Just even coming on the podcast, like gotta gotta give it to him there. Like thank you so much, Kyle, for doing that. But uh, yeah, that was awesome. We should have asked him um, how tall he is. You know the you know Chris Johnson. You mentioned him mm-hmm. in the in the pod. That guy is not a very tall guy, and I, you, you can't really tell until like Kyle standing next to a guy. But when he's 
stood next to like Kyle Johnson. Like he towered him. I wonder if he's like, if we made a bucks on nux fucking basketball team, we could fucking pull him in as a ringer for power forward or something. <laughs> there you go. Also, yeah. also I'm going to clip it the, uh, for like a teaser. But when he was talking about the hair routine, um, he pulls his hat off, wipes his hand through the hair. Even with the hat on, his hair is still fucking perfect. Yeah, the guy's got the. I wear a hat. My fucking hair looks like a. <laughs> I wear a hat like all day, or for even like a little bit, and my hair looks like a fucking bird's nest. So yeah, hundred percent does it. But dude, I wish yeah. he had something to tell me. Just like uh, you're doing it wrong. I w- that like I said, I wish he told me I was doing something wrong because now I just feel like it, he, like I said, he's just he just is gifted with that type of hair. Always oh, perfect. <laughs> Dude, I, I was going to try to make the joke. We went a little long with him. Like you said, thank you, Kyle, for coming on. The fact that he does a lot. He does a lot of littler podcasts, and he gave us complete time. He didn't cut us short, nothing. Like, he was a great conversation. But I really wanted to bring up, like, when you go into hair and makeup, do you just look at the girl or guy and say, don't touch the hair? I got it. <laughs> like, it's already set. Like, yeah. <laughs> Friend wow. of the show now, hopefully, eh? So, fucking yep. maybe we can get him on in the future asking the ones we just missed there. So, yep. Yeah, and then like when hockey season comes around, if he's not like super busy, it'd be great to get him like uh, some reactions to trades or big games, things like that. Like if he ever uh, comes back, that would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. That would be sweet. All righty. Well, last weekend was a big weekend there at UFC 277 for our gambling picks. We did it again, going 11 and 2 on those picks and cashing multiple parlays. Uh, what'd you think of that card there, DK? It was a good card. It was. Uh... I like the main event a ton. I like the prelims. They actually lived up to it. And I'm pretty sure we, well, you called it and I agreed with you that sometimes these lower level cards with not a lot of big names on them, really, they don't disappoint. And it didn't. There was a lot of finishes, a couple good KOs. Like there was a little bit of everything in this card. Some serious technical uh, women's fight in the in the Nunes fight there. I, that was probably the most technical yeah. women's fight I've ever seen in terms of just like, they looked like they'd been around the sport for the whole time kind of thing and sometimes when you Pena get you kept grabbing fight, her arm there yeah Pena yep. grabbed yeah, her it, arm there every time i was like oh fuck she's gonna get her like it was so close oh so many God. times yep. there. but that was yeah, an absolute derby boys that was in derby yeah Holy yep. fuck. one of the fights Bro, when, of the year I, I would say for sure like a fight of the year i keep missing the fucking tails on, on on ty's picks here and yours dk because i've been trying to like cut off the gambling even though i know it's gambling pot i'll still share my picks and, and when i have a pick like i'll i'll obviously take it but um, I just let the Dude, fucking UFC boys go to work. Only so. man, <laughs> you can't go wrong. Exactly, and then I'll, I'll be up money constantly, no doubt. Exactly. Exactly. So, exactly. so I was like, "Fuck it!" I, I've been so pissed missing out on your shit. Like I know our listeners are probably hopping on here, and I'm on the pod and missing out on this free money. So I was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> so I was like, Cam's, All right, I'll hop "Our buddy on this Cam's one. been uh, tailing the picks, and he like every time he'll just tune, you know, see it like as the fights are happening, and just throw like the next four fights in a row, and he hits them all." Like, I think in the oh, main yeah. card, I think we we're undefeated. I'm pretty sure. I'd have to go look again which two we lost. But I think the two we lost were both like one early prelims, one prelims, I think. Like so, uh, Well, the the fuck. one I lost was the Derek Lewis. That was on the main card. Oh, that's right. That was uh I didn't take I, I was Lewis, part of though, one of the losses. That. Yeah, I know. I know. You were fucking smart about it. You would you would warn me about it. And I told people, I said, Don't tail this. I'm betting with my heart. I love Derek Lewis. Yeah. And I'm happy. Early stoppage, I'm happy that I though. said that. It was an early stoppage, but with Two big boys in there at 265 pounds. I can't really blame like the ref for stopping yeah. it early. But yeah, I think you I think you were eleven and two in the picks that you gave out. I think I was three and one with Dober cashing, with Ankalaev cashing, with Nunez cashing, and like I said, I lost on the Derek Lewis fight, but that's a bet with your heart. When you win as much as we do, you're you're willing to take a few chances on the UFC and bet oh, with your heart do. from yeah, time to time. Yeah, with the, whenever I see a Canadian on the card, I'm usually picking it there and then 
Oh yeah. Uh, doesn't always work out for me. Like Kyle Nelson, a couple weekends ago, I picked him just because he's from Huntsville and I fucking love seeing the Canadians succeed. I think the one time I didn't pick the Canadian, the Canadian fucking won. So I got a little bit of a <laughs> shit show going on with that there. But, um, why don't we move on to, uh, another card here, which is coming up this weekend. And I think it's kind of similar to, uh, like we were saying on the, uh, last week there where it's kind of a sleeper card. Like there's a lot of fights where, I'm not too familiar with the fighters. I've only seen them fight, you know, once or twice in that. So uh, it could be a great card or it might be, you know, a bit of a disappointing card because there's not any really huge names on it. But uh, for the picks this weekend, I don't have a lot. Right now I've got uh, Lipsky, uh, Luke A, and as much as I like Santos, I think I'm going to go with uh, Jamal Hill there. And uh, I'm going to post the rest of my picks on the uh, Bucks on Nux Instagram this weekend. And um, I also want to get into my picks for the, the weekend after because I'm not too sure. If I'm going to be on the podcast there next week, I'm going to be on vacation, right? So uh, not too sure what I got in store for that. I'll try and make it on, but chances are I probably won't be here. So I'll, I'll give those picks in a second, but I'm curious, uh, DK, what you were thinking for the uh, the card coming up this weekend. Yeah, there's a few guys that I like to bet against uh, habitually, as they say. Sam Alvey's one of them. I don't like betting on Sam Alvey. I like betting against him. Um, you have to excuse me because I didn't do my research on how to pronounce this guy's name, but I think it's uh, Michael Alexichuk is fighting him. I, I like Alexichuk, especially if he's a dog. I hate betting on Sam Alvey. I just feel like he's one of those guys like Gustafson, like Lewis, where they're getting a little older and they're running yeah. out of steam. I like uh, Muhammad Uzman. I, I could be wrong on this. I'm pretty sure that's Kamaro's brother. It's like it's a Uzman relative, the Muhammad Uzman. I really like him. Um, I think he's an absolute beast. In heavyweight, I think he's going to come in and get a big, uh, big KO in that fight. If you want to put money on that, and then yeah, I like Jamal. I like Jamal Hill too. As much as I like Tiago Santos, he's another guy that's probably on the back back nine of his career. So I like Jamal Hill. So I'm with you. I don't like betting on Vicente Luque. I feel like he's pretty boring in terms of of uh, watching him fight. But at the same point, I do think that Luque is a safe bet as well. But if I'm giving out picks, yeah, I got Hill, Alexa Chuck, Muhammad Usman, and that's probably where I'll fucking cut it off. So Muhammad Usman is his brother. I just I just looked it up. Yeah. Bro, if you look up a picture of Muhammad Usman, this guy was like, is Francis Ngannou 2.0? Like, this guy is built in a lab. Like, I'm looking at a, a picture monster. of him beside his brother, and, and he looks like he could kill Kamaru. <laughs> Dude, he's a monster. He's a heavyweight. <laughs> he's a heavyweight compared to uh, Kamaru, who's the welterweight champ, obviously. But yeah, this guy looks like he was built in the lab and just chiseled out of stone. Guy looks like an absolute yeah. beast. He could be a problem in the heavyweight division. So you're taking him, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm taking him for sure. Yeah, sure. I think I'm going to take him as well. Uh, I think the guy he's fighting is undefeated, but, uh, you know, the Usmans, you got that that last name, and uh, it's hard to bet against the Usman after you see what uh, Kamara's been doing there over the last few years. I'm not too familiar with uh, his brother, though. Like, I haven't watched him fight, I don't think. Like, that I remember. This is I'm his debut. Watching... Yeah, this is oh, his... that's why then. Yeah. This is his sense. UFC debut fighting against a guy who's 6-0 and uh, with the debut. These guys got two pretty good nicknames. Muhammad the Motor Uzman and Zach the Ripper uh, Pagua. Like, that's, those are pretty good. Nice. I like this. The Motor versus There's the like, Ripper. Uh, I like this a lot. The, another, like, when you're talking nip, uh, nicknames there, Lipsky, her nickname's like the Queen of Violence. And the, the chick she's fighting, I think, is like something zombie or something like that. Like, they got a zombie cool, girl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zombie girl versus the Queen of Violence. Like, that's going to be another good one there. A couple uh, cool uh, handles Lipsky. on this card. I like it. Oh, yeah, and uh, Lipsky there, I think she was the one that did that disgusting knee bar in one of her uh, yeah. 
recent wins. And I think in her last win, she looked really good. Like she knocked her opponent down like three times before getting the finish or something like that. So I'm definitely uh, gambling on her to win, even though I think it's going to be a tough fight for her. But I am going to list off some picks for uh, the upcoming weekend or the uh, the following weekend after, because I don't think I'm going to be on the uh, the pod there. I don't know where I'm going to be. I got a bunch planned on vacation, so I'll be uh, out partying and things like that. But uh, for those picks, I've got Cheeto Vera beating Dominic Cruz in the main event. I really like what uh, Cheeto has been doing recently. And I think Cruz is, uh, you know, I think he's past his prime. So you got a guy in his prime who's been tearing it up in the UFC against a guy who's kind of uh, past his prime, which I don't think he has uh, the same you know, uh, skills that he, well, he still has the same skills, but I don't think he's as good as he was in his prime. Obviously I'd love to see these guys fight in their prime, both of them, but you know, you can't uh, rewind time and shit like that. But, uh, also I've got this guy, I can't pronounce his name properly. Most likely it's uh Mirzakhanov there, got him winning. And then, uh, Bruno Silva to win over Mearshart as uh, dangerous as Mearshart is there. Like that guy, I watch him fight and freaks me out when he gets in the grappling game. So there's definitely a big risk for Silva there. But uh, I think Mearshart's uh, going to take the L, at least hopefully. But um, a couple other things I wanted to mention about UFC before we wrap up this topic here is uh, Poirier versus Chandler was recently announced. And I think that's uh, supposed to happen in November. But yeah, the uh, first word that comes to mind when I see that fight is violence. And uh, if you yep. guys had to make an early prediction for this fight, uh, who do you think would take the win there? <sighs> that's it's a tough. tough one. <laughs> it's I, real tough. I I. I like Poirier. I like Chandler a lot. I don't really, this is one of the few fights in the game where I'd be like, I would love it if these guys just went out and had a brawl and it was a split decision. So that way I don't have to cheer for someone getting knocked out. But I do think Poirier is just a little bit sharper with his striking. I think he's, he's been in a little, a lot more like big fights. So the stage won't get to him. I do think he's going to end up pulling out the win against Chandler. What do you think? Oh, tough man. I I was actually leaning towards Chandler just after seeing that, head kick he threw on Ferguson and also like he's got uh I think a little more like power when it comes to the wrestling game so I think if he can wrestle Poirier to the ground and do a little bit of ground and pound that's his best gamble right there but uh like you said Poirier's fucking sharp with his striking like his boxing is some of the best in the UFC you saw it against McGregor there and uh he's built tough too like checking those leg kicks against McGregor he fucking broke the guy's leg so the guy's made of steel and uh really they're both made of steel it's gonna be like I said, violence is going to be uh, laid out in the octagon that night. Can't wait for that. And then one other thing related to UFC I wanted to mention is if uh, you guys saw that McGregor is going to become an actor there, he's starring in uh, the remake of Roadhouse there. What did you make of all that? It shows you how much he's been training. It shows you how much he's been training. The guy's been <laughs> filming a movie, worrying about his whiskey. Like I don't think we're, we're, we're going to see this guy anytime soon. I think if we do, it's going to be November, December. This or it's going to be next year. Like I don't think we see him fight this yeah. year. He's he's always active on Twitter and acting like he's going to fight tomorrow. But he's doing movies. He's doing this and that. I don't. I can't imagine seeing him in the octagon anytime soon. Yeah, well, I thought he was targeting like to fight in November, or December too. But then uh, you hear this announcement, and it's like okay, that's a little less light, like a lot less likely now. It's probably going to be something like early next year. And yep. uh, yeah, you can't you can't be really training a ton if you're you know doing movies and shit like that unless he's got a really small role which could be the case maybe he just makes a little appearance and then it doesn't take much time away from him but uh, i'm not actually sure what what role he's going to play in that movie but i think that'll be pretty funny to see him in fucking roadhouse that's for sure (laughs) oh for sure but uh, that's all i had on ufc guys i know you guys uh, wanted to uh, talk about baseball a bit there there was some uh, big trades that have happened and uh with trade deadline and all that stuff so uh why don't you guys take it away and uh, lead us into some baseball here? DK's got the shirt on, so I know he's ready. 
<laughs> I rocked my J shirt in support after after sending about six tweets ripping apart Ross Atkins. I'm back on the Ross Atkins bandwagon. Um, I slept on the I slept on the trades. We'll start with the Jays, and I'll throw it to you, Stewie. What did you think of what we did at the deadline? Was it enough? Was it not enough? Are the names not what you wanted? Um, how did you feel going through trade deadline day as a Toronto Blue Jays fan? So it's funny how it worked. If they had done these moves, let's say two days or or even the day before the deadline, I would have thought to myself, like, these are good moves. Like, I like this so far. But the fact that they waited so long, like, I was kind of getting my hopes up as all the names started going off the board, all the big names that the Jays were, were like, rumored to be in on. Um, started leaving the board and going to compet- like contenders, too. I was like, oh, like Montas, Castillo. Yep. These guys are all going to American League teams. And I thought, like, hey, maybe the Jays are, like, holding out for something big here. So I was like, Soto, maybe. And then I was thinking, like, Otani, maybe. Um, I know, like, the Angel said he's not going anywhere, but, like, who knows, right? And then maybe, like, somebody that was just not even, like, thought of, to be honest. And I thought even Alcantara, maybe. Yep. But uh, I think Miami might want to keep him. Oh, yeah. There was like they weren't even listening, maybe, um, like they might have been early in the season. But so yeah, I, I was like, wow, like they might be like holding out for something big. Like there's no way they're like dumb enough to just let these guys like slip. And like I haven't heard you didn't hear anything from the insiders as to like oh the Jays are like close or like this this player comes down to uh, or this deal comes down to the Jays and someone else. You didn't hear that until the day of, and then it was like Cindergard kind of going around. We didn't even get Cindergard, but nope. So like when the, nothing big happened, like I was a little bit disappointed after looking at the final haul. But if but like realistically, like it wasn't like terrible. I don't think it was a terrible deadline. Um, I think Anthony Bass has probably the best numbers this year out of like any reliever that was dealt. To be honest, like so I think the Jays have like more faith in him than a lot of other teams might have because like he wasn't even one of the big names even thought about. I guess like. No. This is his first really only good season. And I guess early in the season, he might have struggled a little bit in the closer role. But since then, I guess in Miami, he's got under a two ERA. Like apparently his sliders work in this year. So the Zach Pop that came in that deal as well. Um, I like that as well. Canadian boy. He'll work well with Romano. And I think they worked out together. Uh, he's not like, he probably won't play in like too many high leverage situations for the rest of the season, but he'll definitely be sitting there in the bullpen, and he has some upside, too. I think he's only, like, 25 or 26, Yep. and he throws steam, as far as I know. So, Yep. That's a good – that's a guy like uh, Mitchell White from the Dodgers. I guess we'll be using him as a starter, just a little bit of relief. It's, it sucks to hear uh, Stripling. I mean, it was announced, like, uh, it was yesterday, the day before, that he's going to be on, like, the 10-day or 15-day DL or IL, whatever it's called now, and – I think by all accounts, like it looks like it might be something really quick. Like it looks like they're pretty confident it's not going to turn into something larger than than it looks like. So that's good news. Yeah, I think White was a good idea because he's having like not a terrible year. I think his he has a three seventy ERA um, in ten starts plus five uh, relief appearances. Right in LA. Yep. Yep. And yeah, so so like that's not not terrible numbers. It's better than Kikuchi. It's even better than Barrios numbers this year. So. That had some depth to st- depth to the starting rotation, and uh, a Manoa needs some rest, like clearly, right? Like that's a guy. It's well, he's he's still only twenty three or twenty four, and he he's on pace to pitch over two hundred innings this year. So that's something that um, was a, a beneficial, even just for the fact that it allows Manoa to get some rest before the playoffs. And of course, you never want to see him like even beyond burning out. You don't want to see him hurt, right? 
Um, not only is that like a young pitcher with tons of potential hurt, it's also like our best pitcher right now, and you want him for the playoffs. So I think that Mitchell White, I liked it a lot. Um, the only thing that uh, was like weird to me was was the the Merrifield deal because I I assumed that if we were even going to get a position player, it was going to be a left handed bat, and he's not as far as I know, right? So it it, it was kind of weird. I know Springer. I like yep. Merrifield. He's having a down year, but I know he has the ability to be like an all-star caliber player. Um, I know Springer is kind of like shaky, like nobody knows like really what's going on with him. So I guess that's like a move where you can slot in Merrifield in the outfield a little bit, but he's also like, he's got some like positional versatility. But yeah, it was just like weird. Like I thought like, oh, like I thought left-handed bat is going to be a position player. It's going to be a left-handed bat. But um, at, where does he slot in, you think though? Like, um, because- so- He's played some second, he's played some left field, and he's played some center field this year. I think he's played the least amount like of, of all those uh, positions. I think he played the least amount of center field, but he is kind of right. comfortable apparently playing in that center field role. And Springer's got a really bad elbow. Um, yeah. Dan Schneider came out and said there's, it's not a situation where he's going to get back to 100% this year. He's just going to, it's yeah. about pain management. So I guess right. you kind of want to be able to give Springer a couple days off where he doesn't have to throw. So you're going to probably platoon Merrifield and Ramel Tapia in center. Probably not the most, uh, probably not the situation that the Jays wanted to have the most. But Merrifield's a pretty good add in terms of like a platoon in center field with uh, Tapia. Yeah, I do like it, it, but it's just Tapia's doing like performing like so above expectations. Like it was like weird that they wanted to get get another guy in that role. I mean, Merrifield was like a was like an all star like a couple years ago. It seems that he would almost want that starter role, but he also this is another thing that was also confusing when a couple of weeks ago, he didn't make the trip t- with Kansas up to Toronto. So he's clearly not vaccinated and Atkins refused to give like a definitive answer if, if he's going to get vaccinated. But all he said was like, he, he's really excited to be a blue Jay and he'll, he's going to do whatever or something like that. I forget so, the exact quote, but it, was, it didn't sound a hundred percent, but it made me a little bit more comfortable. Merrifield came out right before the podcast actually started and said that he was vaccinated. Um, he okay. joined the Jays. He joined the Jays in Minnesota. I think I don't think he's fully vaxxed yet. I think he got the word and went right in and got the first dose. And then in two weeks, he can join the Jays in Toronto. I heard a quote that said basically, which is hilarious, and I love this about like the Whit Merrifield ad is that he said like, yeah, I was kind of against getting vaccinated, and then I figured, why would I get vaccinated to go play in Kansas City? Um, we're not going anywhere. They weren't a good okay. team. But then <laughs> as soon as he joined the Jays, apparently he was all in. He was like, yeah. I'll go get vaxxed tomorrow because I want to play on a contending playoff baseball team, That's which good. is hilarious. That's hilarious to me. I fucking, I love that. He probably got the Johnson and Johnson. I know that's still, that's one shot and it's still accepted in Canada. So I feel like that, that's probably like the more likely situation. Cause that allows him to come as soon as he got it. So if he got it yesterday, for example, he can come um, today. For, no, no, he can come in 14 days. Like you have to give it 14 oh, days. To Canada. Yeah. Yep. So, so whereas like, if you were to get the double shots of anything else, I mean, I don't know the fucking exacts of COVID, but like, or of the vaccine. But I think if you get the first shot, you have to wait like a certain period. I don't know what it is. Two weeks. Then get the yeah. second. Sh- then get the second shot, and then you have to wait two weeks after you get your yeah. second shot to come to Canada. And uh, it's not like they can fucking finesse that shit. Uh, I don't think, especially when they know borders know who he is when he's coming, right? So he is playing center field right now. So yep. I guess that's that's his spot. For now, as they rest Springer, so I don't know. Yeah, I like the trade down, trade deadline. Um, I think we had the potential 
to do a lot more. I wanted to bring up, you said that um, you never, you should never, especially if you're a contender, you should never keep your prospects in baseball. This is like a debate we were having on, on trade yep. deadline day, me yep. and you. Um, I want to get your thoughts on that because I agree to an extent. I agree that we had some expendable pieces in our farm system that could have been used to make a big deal uh, this trade deadline on Tuesday. But the thing is, is if we can't find that deal and we just trade, we just make some shitty decisions to get some guys, then it's like our farm system realistically isn't as deep as most Jays fans think. And I think it's clear now after the deadline, it's not as deep as people thought. And especially on the pitching side. So, so I want to get your thoughts. Like if, like if the Jays were to do that, that's why it would hurt, especially in this situation. It's the same thing I mentioned about when you proposed that Scotty Barnes trade. It yep. would suck to see Scotty Barnes go to Brooklyn, and then we have Kevin Durant and never win a championship while he's here. It would it would be the same feeling if a Relvis Martinez or a, or a Gabby Moreno went to another another fucking franchise in, in another city and fucking became all stars, and we were just sitting back like, ah, oh, nothing really happened with us, right? Well, and, and that exact same thing happened to us with the Jays uh, not too long ago. I think it was in the 2015 season, just before the start of it, we traded right. Noah Syndergaard for R.A. Dickey, and then Noah Syndergaard came in to be like almost a perennial Cy Young candidate for like four or five straight years with yeah. uh, with the Mets. So um, I completely agree with that. I wouldn't want to trade those guys for a for just like a random guy. I still think that if you if the asking price was one of those guys for like a Montas or a Castillo or something like that, we probably should have done it. We probably should have looked for a, a top of the line guy, uh, top of the rotation guy. But at the same point, I'm not mad at what we did. That Groshans, uh, apparently he hasn't hit for any power. He's got one homer in his last 67 at-bats. They can't find uh, the bat with him in, in AAA or AA anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's time for him to move on. And then Buster Olney came out in the morning and said, uh, the the thing that he had got from around the league was that the league wasn't too high on the Blue Jays' uh, farm system, as high as the Blue Jays are are on their own farm yeah. system, right? So even like our top prospects, the Martinez and everybody like that, they might not be looked at as as high as like around the league as the Jays thought they were, um, which I think played a big role into it. I don't think you should have traded them just for like a Noah Syndergaard or a no. Mitch White or anything like that. I think we d- we did a proper thing and kept them. For now, maybe they have a, a good end of the season and in the offseason you can trade them. My thing with the Martinez is we haven't played shortstop right now in AAA. I looked it up. We haven't played shortstop. Uh, we're going to sign Bo Bichette, so what's the point of having this guy, uh, this blue-chip shortstop prospect, if we already have a, a 24-year-old Bo Bichette that we're about to sign for 10 years? There's no, there's no point of keeping him. That's how I kind of thought about it. And plus, prospects in baseball, you kind of debunked that myth, actually. I said, look at the top, top 100 prospect list from five years ago and you sent me the 2016 one which is seven years ago and it was like i would say oh six, 60 or 70 percent of the list was was probably uh had played in an all-star game it seemed like so you I don't know about that i'd say like most of them are major leaguers i could say like at least like 70 80 percent of them are major leaguers and, and like to this day and there was like quite a few you're right in saying that. yeah there was quite a few like um, on that list, like yeah, there was that had played ju- in an All Star game. And, oh yeah, like there's there's a couple on that list that won an MVP. I feel like too, or like a Cy Young. Like there are in the in the talks. Yeah, for I it. can go find um, it right now again. Yeah, it was it, it was a it was a extensive list. I was wrong on that, but at the same point, I don't think the Jays' prospects are on the same same level as those guys that uh, were on that 2016 top prospects list. But 
At the same point, I'll recap the uh, trade deadline a little bit for me too. This Zach Pop, I think, is is one of the most underrated pickups that we got. Uh, everyone wanted a power arm with swing and miss stuff. Uh, just because he's young and he hasn't really had the time to show it. He's only 24, 25 years old. He's got team control. He's got 98 mile an hour sinker. And a, a statistically, he's got one of the best sinkers in the game this year, which is but massive, that, right? That's pitching to contact, though. That's not exactly a guy that you'd trust to get you out of a jam. Swing though, it, not a swing and miss thing. Yep. Yeah. He's no. a ground ball pitcher for sure. Um, so is Bass. Like, I don't think Bass is a massive strikeout guy, but he's a good guy uh, to have. Like you said, I, the first thing I said was like, Man, how are you going to put him in high leverage situations? This guy's like 0 for 4 in save opportunities this year. He just can't get it done in the ninth inning. But we don't have to, he doesn't have to play in the ninth inning. He's only got to play in the seventh or the eighth in a high leverage yeah. role. And Romano will come in and get the save, and he doesn't have to worry about that. So I like it. Um, I think. I, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think they're, they're, they were open to the idea of moving Romano out of the closing role just because Romano also isn't like he's, I mean, I think he's leading the league in saves and he's done very well. He's also a guy that's not entirely like a swing and miss guy. Like he, yes. he he's off right. So he's often like a ground ball pitcher, pitch to contact pitcher, and with, 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 I mean, with just absolute heat. So they were open to throwing him, I think, in, in the setup role, and, and getting so a closer, but it didn't really turn out. So, so I'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through two names, uh, two relievers that I think we really missed out on, and that we should have probably uh, gave up one of our good prospects for right at the very end. But uh, Mitch White, I think I've actually, <laughs> I've gambled on a few games with the Dodgers where Mitch White is pitched. So I've actually watched him pitch a few times. I like this guy. He's pretty good. He's, he's no different than Stripling. He's better than Kikuchi. Um, he's going to come in and give us some solid innings, I think. And like you say, he, he might be able to give Manoa an extra day off where if they want to go to a six-man rotation down the stretch to give Manoa and Gosman and Barrios maybe a start off here or there, he'll be a good guy to plug into the rotation and get it. He's going to cover Stripling while Stripling's hurt right now. I like Mitch White a lot. I think he's going to end up going to the bullpen uh, come playoff time. Uh, I, I I like him a lot. Whit Merrifield, I like. I like that he gets some speed. He brings an element that we don't really have in terms of the speed. Like, we have Tapia and Bichette can run a little bit, but we don't have a ton of guys that are considered Zimmer. burners. Yeah, Zimmer, but Zimmer <laughs> can't fucking get on base. Yeah, <laughs> Zimmer can't even get on base unless he's pinch running. Um, so Whit Merrifield brings a, an element to the team that we don't necessarily – we don't have an abundance per se, um, but there's a few relievers that I really wanted the Jays to take a serious stab at. And there was a package from the Tigers, like with their starter, Tim Scabal, and then Gregory Soto in the pen. I think Gregory Soto would have been a great idea. ad. Yes, a yeah. left-handed power arm uh, that is is the definition of swing and miss stuff. I think the Angels uh, had that Raciel Iglesias that I think the Jays were linked to uh, after the Syndergaard deal fell through. I really would have liked him. Even the Baltimore Orioles, which I don't think the Orioles were going to trade in the division, but uh, the Orioles had that Jorge Lopez or George Lopez who had an all-star season, and he's kind of got swing and miss stuff too as a closer. I would have really liked him. There's three guys that I feel like the Jays should have been in on in terms of relievers that they just must not have had the deal for, must not have the prospects for. They must have been asking too much for those three. I'm surprised that Detroit didn't trade anybody at the deadline. Like They didn't sell anybody. It's kind of weird to me uh, mm -hmm. that they didn't sell Soto and get some some serious capital back. But uh, yeah, I, I don't mind the Jays trade deadline. Trade deadline. I would have liked a left-handed bat. I would have liked a more top-end starter in case Barrios kind of scuffles throughout the the end of the season, so, so that you have three starters, good starters going into playoffs. But I don't know. I, all in all, it was a good deadline. The Juan Soto thing was pretty wild, eh? Like considering that was two weeks ago, he was going to get traded, and then he gets traded. And usually, there's a lot of smoke around that stuff, and then it just doesn't happen. I was yeah. shocked. I was shocked. 
Yeah, I think the Padres are dumb scary now. When yes, Tatis is back in the lineup too, it's gonna be it's gonna be insane. And they they added that Josh Hader. Yep. Um, from Milwaukee, and he's like one of the best closers in the league, I think. Yep. So he's that's gonna be a tough team to beat. And they have a good like like who's their rotation too? Like they have good like Joe Musgrove and don't they have Blake Snell still too in that rotation? Yep. Or yeah, so like he he's pretty. <laughs> He's been known to be pretty good too. So they they got a good rotation. They got a good batting order. Like they got a lot. That San Diego Padres thing. What did you think of uh, Eric Hosmer getting added to the deal and then just saying, "No way, Jose, I ain't fucking going to play in Washington." Yeah, that that Hosmer thing was crazy. I thought, bro, there was so many like false reports or like not totally correct because people are saying like, "Oh, the deal's through," blah blah blah, and then they're like, "Oh, one MLB player. Oh, it's Hosmer, Hosmer." And it just kept the news kept like evolving. It was like, oh, Hosmer uh, on his no trade clause, Washington is one of the teams listed. Oh, does he want to go? Yeah. And then they're saying the whole trade is dependent on if Hosmer agrees. And then everyone's saying like, this is a horrible spot for Hosmer because like he like if he really doesn't want to go to Washington, like you're putting this He's guy, yeah, yeah, and you're putting this guy on the fucking barbecue, like just like like do or die at this point because if he says no and the trade gets killed then you get booed at home for the rest of the season you know what i'm saying oh like yeah there was no play. yeah yeah there exactly was no coming right? back so, if you say no yeah exactly so the, like i would be pissed if i was him but then and then it came out like oh it's not actually dependent uh who ended up who ended up going luke voigt so he was another voigt, first base yeah. f- another first base bro i saw padres fans i saw padres fans on the final announcement on twitter saying like why'd you get rid of voigt no not oh, voigt Jesus. and i was like bro voigt like I, Bro, that guy looks like the biggest douchebag in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, bro! And what does he even do? Like, he just isn't he just like a strikeout or 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 home run guy? Realistically, he's he's had one season where he played like I think he played like season. It was like he played 110 games in the season, and that was the most he'd played in a season ever in his career. I think right. Yeah, like he was just a he was a pinch hitter. He was a a come and play every fifth day, fourth day. And try to swing and hit a homer. Other than that, he's striking out. He's Adam Dunn 2.0. Luke Voigt is a nothing. And the Padres are worried about giving up that when they gave up their, like, I think it was like their uh, six or eight of their top 15 prospects. The Padres gave up between the Soto deal, between the Hater deal. Um, and they're worried about Luke Voigt. It's fucking so dumb. It makes no yeah, sense. You literally got Juan Soto, bud, and Josh Bell, who's a better first base, better hitter, and better in the field. 100%. It made no sense, really. Why they say? I guess he might be a fan favorite there, but I've never been a Luke Voigt fan. Maybe it was because he was on the Yankees and wears these fat-ass chains. Looks like <laughs> the biggest fucking douchebag I know. But anyways, fucking maybe he's a nice guy. Who knows? I should fucking chill on dudes I don't know. But anyways, uh, you go, Luke Voigt. Right on. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was a good deadline. I, I was liking it. Like I had the phone set, I was working and had the phone set up with the fan 590 going all day long, just listening, listening oh, yeah. and checking Twitter every once in a while to make sure I was like right there with the news, but yeah, good deadline all in all. I think the Jays was like, a, I think they get a passing grade. Yep. Um, they didn't do anything like incredibly special, but they get a passing grade. I want, oh, one thing I, I want to get while we're still in baseball is, um, you proposed Bo Bichette in the Juan Soto proposal that you made a couple episodes ago. Yep. Um, what's your thoughts on on that? Looking back, would you have given up? Because I heard that when the Jays checked in on Soto, they asked for they said like the deal will require Bo Bichette because, like I said, um, we don't have the farm system that we think we do. Right. So 
do do you think it's still doable? Because um, Bo Bichette right now is kind of pissing me off, but I don't want to get I don't want to be the guy that uh fucking gives up on him now and then when he comes back because I think I think I'm still like super confident that he'll bounce back and and, and be Bo Bichette again. So I don't want to be the guy that's gone. <laughs> that is going to be switching sides once he comes back and in, 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 to like an all-star level. So what's the, what's the deal on Boba Shed? I think he's still, I'm more optimistic that he turns it around than I am thinking. Like, I think it's more likely that he turns it around. I think so too. I think he's going to be one of the best hitting shortstops in the game for a long time. I think he turns it around and he ends up playing better, especially once the, once his contract uh, cashes for him. I think that weighs a lot on him that he wants the big contract and it's just not, coming yet so he's putting a ton of pressure on himself looking back on it i still would do that deal for juan soto i think juan soto just he just brings a different attitude to the team where you're like holy fuck we just went out and got one of the best players in baseball right now i think bichette's got the potential to become one of the best hitting shortstops but i know juan soto is one of the best hitters in baseball right now um i probably still would have done it i honestly i probably still would have done it um it would have been sad to see him go. There's a guy that if you talk about, he might go and be a perennial all-star for 10 years in a yeah, row and exactly. we traded him away. But I have all the faith in the world that Juan Soto was going to be that same guy. Um, yeah, looking back, I would have done it the same way. And then uh, my last thing on the fuck on, on Blue Jays is, you said it, you said they get a passing grade. My literal last question was, if you had to give them a letter grade, what would it be? If you if you had to go first and give them a letter grade anywhere from A to F, um, what would you give them, and then I'll 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 line up after you, like a B minus. That's exactly what I was gonna give them too. I say <laughs> a B minus. It's it's a passing grade. It's like sixty eight percent. I'll give them that. I'll give them that. Yeah. It's it, I I I don't mind what they did. I think they helped the team. I think they could have done more. If you're doing like a job review, it's like you tell Ross Atkins you could have done more, but you just did enough. You just did enough. B minus is respectable grade. I'll give them a sixty eight percent or B minus too. I'm right with you. Right with you. Right on. Same page. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. That's all I had on baseball there, Ty. It's, it's uh, Blue Jays trade deadline, Juan Soto. That was about all that happened in the trade deadline. It was a good good little couple-day stretch thinking about what the Jays could get and then what they actually got or whatever. I'm not too mad about it. Right Yo, Ty. That's pretty much uh, yes, dude. What's up? Are you, you, you going to be uh, you gonna be around for chill night tomorrow or are you going to be on the road? Um, I'll be on the road pretty early tomorrow because I get off work early. I took a half day, so I uh, may be able to play chow tomorrow night, but I'll be playing oh, it from the... You uh, guys bring the box show. home? Oh, yeah, bring 100%. The box home, hell yeah. You have to. That. That's the only way, like, in my garage I can watch YouTube and shit <laughs> on the screen. Like, we always throw that on when we're drinking beers in the background, right? So I bring the Xbox everywhere I go. Even if yeah. it's, like, a weekend trip, I get, that's one of the essential items I'm packing up with me. We need to get DK and his PS5 or PS4 or whatever he's got on some cross-platform shit here. Oh, yeah, I'm not Hell buying yeah, well, I, got a 20... P- I got a PS4. Hey, fuck. Yeah, that. I, mean, I, comes I wouldn't out, buy a PS5. Uh, when does Child 23 come out? October, they come out or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's or? usually September, October they come out, right? Right before the season, I want to say. Yeah. Why, is that going to be cross? Is that going to be cross-platform? I doubt it. Fucking yeah, EA Sports is kind of slack sometimes, but it'd be nice. It'd be fucking nice i've been trying to play with uh a few buddies that have like playstation for years now and facts fucking call of duty you can do it why doesn't ea set that shit up yeah you got warzone yet dk no i can't i can't do it (laughs) i looked up my uh my kill death so i had warzone 
downloaded at one point. I looked up my kill death for Call of Duty, and it was like 0.4. Like, I fucking okay. suck, dude. I suck oh, at Call of so Duty. Does, so does so Ty. Bad. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm better than nah, Stu, though, kidding, so kidding, that's I'm good kidding. news. <laughs> <laughs> but um, before we get uh, too far down the rabbit hole in video games here, I think that was like all the topics we had uh, today. Did you guys have any final thoughts before we kind of wrap it up here? I want to say thank you, Kyle Bikoskis, again. Yeah, I'm still stoked that he was able Tried to join home. the show today. That was excellent, man. That was that was fantastic. Unreal. Oh, yeah. It's a big get, big get for it. us, and I hope we get him back as a recurring guest, like you said, Stu, and he's going to be a friend of the show. Seemed like it went well. We had him laughing. We asked him some serious questions, got some good answers. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview as much as we did, because I know that, speaking for the three of us, I feel like we had a fucking time during that interview. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was a blast. It was a blast. Yep. I'd love to do it again sometime. If he's ever willing to come back, that would be unreal. Yeah, we got to uh, get him in a fantasy league. Yes. We get him in a yeah. fantasy league with some listeners. Yes. Watch him just dust everyone. I would say he would dummy everyone. Him. He would dummy yeah. everyone, I feel like. He's got the inside info. Except, bro, I'm going <laughs> mean, to... Uh, go ahead, Stu. I was going to say, I'm gonna, I mean, I would spam him with like the most like fucking brutal lopsided trades. <laughs> just <laughs> annoy him. Yeah. <laughs> Connor McDavis for Radcliffe Gudis. Yeah. <laughs> I offered that one a couple of times last year. Hey, Gudis <laughs> is actually a decent piece all year for me, though. Don't well, put we him. A, we're we talking. We're comparing him to McDavid. Fits. Don't say Gudis is. <laughs> don't say he's a good piece when we're comparing him to McDavid. Hey, well, if you think about it, the hits cat, McDavid wasn't, wouldn't do much for me there. And <laughs> Gudis won me a couple hit hits cats, and I was pretty good already on the points and shit. So. Fuck yeah. And then all every right. other category there. <laughs> Fuck. How many goals does Gudis get a year? <laughs> hey, I don't know, like two, One. three. Slap yeah, shot from the blue line, though. Look at fucking Danny Heat. I think he scored against the Leafs, last. right? Didn't he rip one against the Leafs and I had him on my bench and I was so pissed because he scored against <laughs> the Leafs and I had him on my bench? I was pissed. That adds up. It was from the that blue line up. or center ice or something. You can always remember that. It was like that yeah, no, I remember that was he like ripped one high scoring, he... went to overtime and shit. I remember he ripped one from the blue line, and I was like, holy fuck, he looks like Danny Heatley out there ripping clap bombs, fucking top corners. <laughs> that guy was uh, ripping it out there. Radkel Gudis, I didn't know you had it in you, buddy. <laughs> I thought he was just a goon. But uh, yeah, anyways, uh, I think that that pretty much does it for our episode here today. Hey, lads, are we, are we good to get out of here or what? Of course. Bring us home, this Ty. Is... Bring us home, baby. Yep. All righty. That's a wrap for episode 16 of Bucks on Nucks. Make sure to check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And also keep an eye out for our gambling picks on those social media pages. And drop a five-star review down for the podcast if you're enjoying it. And check out the other podcasts on showbile.com. And if you can't be cool, be careful. And if you can't be good, be good at it. <laughs>